Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I love you so very much, and it is the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. And I want to start off by asking you a question I think I already know the answer to. Are you tired? In some ways, that's rhetorical, right? Are you tired? Are you physically tired? Are you working longer hours than God intends for you to work? Are you spending time and money accumulating things that take you the whole weekend to keep together? Are you emotionally tired? Are you trying to control uncontrollable things in your life? Are you trying to please everybody, meet their level of expectation, seek their recognition and their praise? Are you trying to find a person or a place that meets your unrealistic area of expectation? And so you're constantly critical because you walk into a church or walk into a house or into a business and they, they're never good enough for you. Are you spiritually tired? Are you carrying around a weight of sin and you know you're not in the will of God and because of that, it exhausts you every day? So I asked everyone if you're tired. But I want to ask you another question. Do you want rest? Do you want rest? Do you want physical rest? Do you want to find the right priorities and put them in the right order? Do you want emotional rest, giving up control and embracing acceptance that God is sovereign and He is the one who is in control of our lives? Do you want spiritual rest, receiving forgiveness and full restoration from a God who loves you more than I can put into words, but who is holy and cannot stay in the presence of the sin that's in your life? These things are possible. What I preach to you today are words of truth. It's not wishful thinking. It's not self-help. All right? It's not positive psychology. It is truth from the Word of God that we are tired, but we are offered rest. But that rest comes from one source and one source only. The title of our message today is Finding True Rest for Our Souls. And the big idea as we walk into Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 is this. In one sentence, I would say true and lasting rest for the human soul can be found only through the work of a healing Savior. I'll say it again for the note takers. True and lasting rest for the human soul can only be found through the work of a healing Savior. So again, Cedar Street, I ask you, are you tired and do you want rest? If so, would you join me by turning to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. If you do not have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. We're on, be on page 970 in your pew Bible. Again, page 970 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word. Again, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I'm coming at your red letter today. This is straight from the, the tongue of the Lord Jesus Christ. Starting in verse 28, hear our Lord's word to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we thank you and praise you, but we also come to you confessing that we're tired people. We're tired physically. We're tired emotionally. We're tired spiritually. Father, we live in a broken world that we have no control over. We have sinful souls that we are sometimes stuck in bondage to, Father. But we know that the answer and the source of rest and restoration and forgiveness and freedom come from the Lord Jesus Christ, Your Son, Your only begotten Son, who You sent for our forgiveness, for our salvation, for our restoration, and for a personal relationship with You. Father, I pray in the name of Your Son and by the power of Your Spirit that rest would fall upon this room this afternoon that we would take these words and bury them deep within our hearts and let these flowers grow. Father, be with us, be with me as I walk us through this passage. Father, would you hide me behind the cross that all the words, honor, and glory would be yours and that your Son would be the place that we'd come to find rest today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. This is a familiar passage, okay? If if we're being honest, most of you that have been in church at any length of time, you have heard this passage, but I'm going to challenge you, as I would any time I open the Word, to come to this passage with an open heart and an open mind, because the depth of God's Word is deeper than I could ever put into words, and He's got a fresh word for us today in this passage. The truth is eternal, but the application of it to our lives can change from season to season. Again, you're probably tired today for a reason that may be different than why you were tired the last time you heard a pastor preach this message. So I want you to listen closely. And as we walk into the passage, I want to set the tone for the context of Matthew chapter 11. So in the Gospel of Matthew here, we are learning about the earthly three-year ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as He begins to reveal to the world that He is in fact the Son of God. And when we get to the 11th chapter, if you read closely, what you'll begin to see is this. People are beginning to oppose Jesus more fiercely and strongly than they were in the first 10 chapters, all right? They're beginning to understand that this guy, this this carpenter's son from Nazareth who's walking around talking about being the son of God, they're starting to understand that he's identifying with the Messiah who they've been waiting for for hundreds of years, and they get angry, and they get angry, and they get more angry. And they begin to say, we know who you are. You're the son of Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth. Who are you to say that you, in fact, are the son of God? And so God, or Jesus, as God in human flesh, begins to reveal to the world how he, in fact, is God. He shows that he has uh, power over death, power over disease, power over sickness. He begins to show all these mighty works. And in the beginning of chapter 11, he actually stands up and begins to call out against these cities that will not repent And he says, woe to you, all of these cities. If I had done these miraculous works in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented by now. But after all that you've seen, that you have not repented, the day of reckoning will be worse for you than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah because they didn't see the Messiah, but you have. So Jesus has this harsh tone of wrath for the people that will not repent. But then in contrast to that, we see as we get to the end of chapter 11, he, he bring, comes back with the tone of a shepherd, and it is gentle, and it is patient. And he is not speaking to those who have not repented. He is speaking to the simple in faith who've been following him around from town to town because they're willing to listen to what he has to say. Some of them have seen these mighty works, and they're saying, Jesus, we're all ears. 
And to them, he does not take the tone of wrath that he took to these unrepentant cities. To them, he is like a powerful shepherd who is gently leading his flock. And he offers this amazing offer of rest. You know, rest is what separates the people of God from the rest of the world, or it should be. I want you to think for me for just a minute about the whole narrative of Scripture, the big picture, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. So walk with me through the Bible in your mind here for a minute. If you haven't read the Bible, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. I want you to think biblically, okay? In the book of Genesis, we know at the time of creation, God created the earth in six days and He rested on the seventh. And human beings were the crown jewel of His creation. He created us at the end of that sixth day. But in the beginning... Okay, the first five and a half days, every time God created something, He said, this is good. This is good. And I believe one of the reasons that God said it is because He he had the, the foresight to know that when He created human beings, we would have everything that we already needed to love Him and to serve Him and to glorify Him. So when He created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, He said, this is good. They'll see the birds and give me praise. They'll catch the fish and give me praise. And then the livestock and all the the creeping things that creep on the earth, he's saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then the crown jewel, the human beings come and he makes them in his image and says, this is very good, this is very good, this is very good, because now everything is complete. Everything I have made is for my glory, but it is for their good and for their joy. All they have to do now is follow me. All they have to do now is trust in my protection and my provision in the Garden of Eden and that garden would have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and the earth would have been the full kingdom of God and we would have been at complete rest. But guess what? What God created very good became very bad when we took matters into our own hands. When we rejected the lordship of God and we said, I do not want what you have for me. I want to be the God of my own life. I want to have the knowledge that you have to make the decisions that I want to make. And they ate for the forbidden fruit they were told not to eat. Sin entered the world and guess guess what has been the most difficult thing in the world to find ever since? Rest. They, They were kicked out of the garden. Cherubim, these angelic creatures, were put at the gates so they could not get back in. And God did that because He's holy, but He also did that because He loves us. And I want you to hear this closely. Because if they stayed in the garden and they ate from the tree of life, they would have been stuck in a permanent state of sin forever. But God cast them out of the garden, away from His presence, because He is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. But God, who still loved them, did not turn His back on human beings. He did two things. First, he he clothed their nakedness. And the second thing he did was he gave them a promise. In Genesis 3.15, he said that one day a human being would come, all right, the seed of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent and crush the power of death, disease, and separation, and human beings could be restored to God once again. And this was a beautiful promise that God made. And he began to fulfill that promise as we walk through the Old Testament through the nation of Israel. All right, Israel was supposed to be how, how the world would know that God exists. He said to Abraham, through your lineage, I will build a nation. And through that nation, all the other nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons made up the 12 tribes of one nation of Israel. And the way that that nation was supposed to look differently than the rest of the world is they were called to be holy, 
They were holy in that Moses eventually led them out of slavery from Egypt. And as they went into the desert, he gave them a covenant and a law. That law was to set them apart in holiness. And also, within that law was grace and mercy. Within that law was the protection and provision of God. Within that law, they were offered rest. And the rest of the world should have been looking at Israel and saying, how come they have so much peace? How come they're always at rest? God tried over and over and over again to get them to trust in Him, and He offered them rest. How did He do it? He did it through manna, this beautiful flaky bread that showered down from heaven overnight. And they were, they were told to get just enough for the day and trust that God would give them enough for tomorrow. But what happened? They didn't trust. They didn't rest. And so the more that they collected turned into stink and worms in their house because they could not rest in the provision of God. Not only that, Sabbath. Work six days and rest the seventh to mirror God who rested on the seventh day, not because God was tired, but because God was giving us an example of what that looks like. But they couldn't rest. They couldn't rest. And then victory, specifically victory over all their opposition. I mean, look in, in, in the book of Joshua and in some of the other books after they get out, out of the wilderness into the promised land over and over, God says, you do nothing but stand back and watch. Watch what I'm going to do. Watch the victory that I'm going to show you. Be courageous and watch and have rest. But they couldn't trust. They had to wander in a desert for 40 years because when they finally saw the numerous amount of people at the border of Canaan, it scared them. They did not trust because they could not rest. So God offered that rest to Adam and Eve and they blew it. He offered the rest to Israel and they blew it. But now God sends rest in a person. And that person is Jesus. Now think about how Jesus fulfills the rest that was offered to Israel. Manna. Okay, God offered bread, but Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Eat from me and you won't be hungry again. Drink from me, you won't be thirsty again. What about Sabbath rest? Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, it is finished. All the work that needed to be done, he took care of the work. And then victory. He's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. He crushed the head of the serpent. He made a way from death to life. Our greatest opponent is sin and Satan. And we have already been given victory in Jesus. So when Jesus steps on the scene here in Matthew 11, he's speaking to these simple-minded people of faith who follow him and want to know more about him. But we on the other side of the cross know more than the people of Matthew 11 do. We know the end of the story. And so the, the rest that he offers to them, he's offering it to us right now. But we have to pay attention to this passage and listen to what he's saying. And so as I walk through these three verses, I got three points, very simple. Not easy, but simple. So as we look down at verse 28, the first of the three things I'd like to point out from this passage in Matthew 11 is this. Number one, our souls find true rest through listening to Jesus. Listening to Jesus. Listen to verse 38. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This one verse has a call, a candidate, and an offer. What's the call? Three words. Come to me. Not hard to understand. Jesus is saying, come to me. You know why I think we have a hard time with this in church? As Southern Baptists, we have started a tradition. Okay, you won't find it in the Bible. I'm not saying it's wrong, but you won't find this verse in the Bible. You hear people say, I invited Jesus into my heart. 
Okay, I'm not saying it's wrong. We, we teach our kids to repent and place their faith in Jesus and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. So theologically, it's right. But here's where it's dangerous. Most of the time in the Bible, you will not see people saying, come to me, Jesus. You'll see it the other way around. Jesus is saying, you come to me. All right, we, don't, we need to stop inviting Jesus into our heart and we need to start taking the offer to go to Jesus and come into his heart and find rest. He's the shepherd. We follow him. We go to him. And he's calling you right now. He's saying, you come to me. I'm not coming to you. I've already come down to you. I'm, hu- I'm God in human flesh. I came to you. Now you come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And, and, and the candidate, who's the candidates? Who is he talking to? He's saying, anyone who labors and is heavy laden. I'd say we're all candidates in this room, wouldn't you? Would anybody in this room dare say that they, they are living a peaceful, carefree life? I, I'm not. If you're thinking maybe the pastor has it all together, you are sorely mistaken. <laughs> I'm a mess like all of you. But he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. This is an open invitation to everyone who hears the sound of his voice that is carrying a weight heavier than you can bear. And then the offer, I will give you rest. He's offering the single thing I believe that we need the most in this world. Everything else that we're chasing, we think will give us happiness. We think will give us joy. We think will give us acclaim and recognition. But even if we had those things, even if we had money, even if we had recognition, even if we had constant praise, it can't give you rest. I mean, look at the news recently. There was a famous designer and a famous chef on television who had committed suicide in the same week. They struggled. They had money. They had acclaim. They had people who worshipped them, but they didn't have rest. And it, and it killed them. We need rest. That's what we need. You do not need more money. I don't care how much money, how many bills you have on your kitchen table right now. You do not need another penny. You need rest. I need rest. I look at my calendar sometimes. My great struggle is managing my priorities because they come at me lightning fast and I'm a very slow and deep thinker. And so sometimes the day comes at me faster than I'm ready and I constantly swim in my planner trying to organize, organize, organize. And here's what I know. I don't need more time. I need rest. I need the rest that Jesus will put my priorities in order if I will listen to him and come to him and follow him. I don't need more discipline. I don't need to get up earlier. Trust me, I've tried all of these things. They don't work. They make me less restful. So we have, a, we have a call, a candidate, and an offer. And our response is to listen to the call, to understand that we're the candidate, and to accept the offer. Will you come to Jesus? Will you listen to Him? Will you receive His rest? Our souls find true rest through listening to Jesus. But not only that, number two, our souls find true rest through learning from Jesus. So now we're coming to Him. We're ready to listen to Him. But He says in verse 29, look at the text with me. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, there's a word there in the beginning that if we don't understand, uh, the rest of this passage will not make sense. And here's here's the interesting juxtaposition here. You have a city boy from Philadelphia who's fixing to tell a bunch of South Georgia folks about agriculture. So bear with me. I realize most of you may know more about this than I do. 
All right, Jody, if you could put that picture on the screen. This is the yoke that he's talking about, okay? And if anyone's listening to this via podcast and they can't see the image, this is a yoke, okay? It's two metal head straps attached to a wooden beam, all right, with a hitch point in the middle where the pole of the plow is attached. That's a yoke, all right? Here's the purpose of the yoke. The purpose of the yoke is that, is that a farmer would take an old ox and a young ox and put them together in the yoke, all right? And if, if we're staring at the yoke, the side on the right, if, the, if they're from where the ox is looking on the left, the older, stronger, more wise ox would go to the left. The younger, weaker, inexperienced ox would go to the right. And as they plowed the land, the old ox would lead the way and carry the weight. And the young ox would be dragged along to help carry the weight, to do some work, but to learn. All right? This, this yoke, it provided guidance and direction for the inexperienced ox. It helped share the workload and it helped the older, stronger ox to carry the heavy weight. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, you know what he's saying? I already got my head in the heavy one. Why don't you slide your head in on the light one and let me carry this? I can carry this further than you can. I can do this better than you can. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Uh, You know, it's almost like discipleship for the ox. It's how we should be as Christians. The older one carrying the younger one along. That Jesus is the ultimate disciple maker. He's making disciples of his kingdom. So if the design of the yoke is those two beams, the purpose is to provide guidance and share the workload and carry the heavy weight. The blessing of the yoke is to offer rest. The younger ox can, can do work, but do it with rest by not having to carry a load that they cannot carry and to do things they don't have the understanding on how to do. They are, they are working, okay? We, when we say we want rest, that doesn't mean we come here with sleeping bags and sleep in the sanctuary all week. Trust me, it ain't going to work. We actually have to get up and go to work. We actually have to go back to our homes and work with our, our spouses and our children and work through issues and balance a checkbook and, and put priorities in order and do difficult things. But the young ox does it without the weight. They have rest because the older ox is carrying the heavy load. So number one, if our souls find true rest through listening to Jesus, number two, our, our souls find true rest through learning from Jesus, Verse 30 closes out the passage in this. Our souls find true rest through leaning into Jesus. We listen to him. We learn from him. We lean into him. Listen to verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jody, go ahead and show that second picture. You see the older ox to our right and the younger ox to the left? The younger one is prepared to lean into the older one. The younger one's looking at the older one, and the older one's looking ahead. I want you to put this image in your heart this week. Take the yoke of Christ upon you and let him pull the load. Let him pull that load. You know, what, what are the burdens, all right? This, this, this heavy plow that we're pulling, what are these burdens that we can't carry? Well, I mentioned some of them in the beginning, but they're unrepentant sin, God wants to bless us, but we're carrying sin. He's saying, let go of it. All right, for some of us, it's control. We're trying to control things that are uncontrollable, okay? For me, my time is something I constantly find myself trying to control, and we can manage it, we can prioritize it, but you can't control it. And then some of it's our fears, our fear of failure, our fear of tragedy, our fear of death. It paralyzes us. And Jesus is saying, I'm carrying this. Stick your head in the other side here. 
Get into my yoke. Those are our burdens that are heavy. Here's where his burden is light. He can forgive our sins. He can take control of our lives. And he can give us identity, hope, strength, and purpose. Hear me clearly. This does not mean that he's going to protect us from all pain. Again, that young ox still has to move all four legs and keep moving and probably will lose its breath eventually. But it does mean that we never have to carry the heaviest load. It's never God's intention. His burden is light because He gives us the identity and the hope and the strength and the purpose that we need to serve Him faithfully. You know, this means that we're called to abide. My life verse is John 15, 5. I think of it every day. It's hanging up on a picture in my office. Uh, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, another agricultural term. Man, this, this city boy is preaching a lot of agriculture today. Abiding and leaning, two of the same. When we abide in the vine, we produce fruit. When we lean in the yoke, we, we produce a harvest. The land is tilled. It's plowed properly. It's ready for the harvest season. In both of those things, the weight belongs to Christ. The obedience belongs to us. And the blessing that we receive is rest. It's rest for our souls. So how do I sum this up? Pretty simple. Are you willing to listen to, learn from, and lean into Jesus to receive true rest for your soul today? I want to emphasize this as much as I can. Because if there's one gap between human beings who become believers in Christ actually experience the kingdom life, and that's what I'm going to call it, the kingdom life is one of rest. It's one of unhurried productivity. The gap between us becoming Christian and then living the Christian life is we, we get this mindset of once saved, always saved, and we are once saved, always saved, but we think of that moment we come to Christ for salvation, and then after we believe that we're, we're born again, we go back to trying to live the life that God's called us to live on our own. The Christian life is one of going to Jesus on the hour and, and resubmitting. All right? I use this example all the time because most of you can understand this. Michael Guido, one of the things that gripped me in his biography was this. A man who seemingly seemed to be as Christ-led as anyone who's ever, you know, roamed Candler County, Georgia. One of the reasons why I think was in his biography, it said every single morning at the sound of his alarm, he would get out of bed and on his knees and he would resubmit his life to Jesus and then he'd kiss Aubrey on the cheek and get ready for work. We got to get past this mindset of I already prayed the prayer. Get that out of your head. Pray the prayer every day. Jesus says, I'm giving you rest. Great. You're going to need rest again tomorrow. And guess where you have to go? Back to Jesus. That's like saying, why should I sleep on the mattress tonight? I slept on it the day I bought it 20 years ago. I should be restful now. No, I'm going to go back to the same mattress and sleep on it tonight and tomorrow night and the next night. Jesus doesn't say, come to me once and then you're good. He says, come and come and come and come and come. We, we, we need to wear our knees out in prayer and, and beg and plead. And let me tell you one way to make this practical. All right, I did it this week in this sanctuary, right where Kenny Davis is sitting. I was sitting right there. I grabbed my Bible and I took this passage and I prayed it back to God for almost an hour. I said, Lord Jesus, I come to you heavy laden. Please give me your rest. Lord Jesus, I come to you weary and heavy laden. 
please give me your rest. And I took that one passage and I poured over it over and over and over. And I'm not saying that the light shone through the stained glass and all of a sudden some angels came out of the choir singing hallelujah and I walked out of here with this amazing new piece. But what I did was remind myself that He's with me. That He's in the yoke next to me. That He's carrying my burden. And that He will be with me the next time I go to Him and ask for rest. This is a relationship that God is interested in. And this relationship, it calls for constant communication, constant prayer. I'm not saying prayer is easy. I'm a vocational minister and I wrestle to pray. It's not easy, especially when you have ADHD like I do. All right, you get into a prayer and five minutes later you're thinking, when's the last time I had bananas for breakfast? All right, it's frustrating. But I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to labor. I do something that drives Larry Sykes crazy. Larry's one of the prayer warriors of our church. When he comes to pray with me, I give him a bulleted list to pray. And about number two on the list, Larry throws the sheet and says, I got it. But I need that list. He doesn't need the list, but I do. I'm, I'm a checklist guy. If I don't, my brain will be singing the Andy Griffith song in two minutes. All right, I've, I've got to have that, but, but that's me. That's not you, that's me. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, because guess what? Satan will do whatever he can to make sure you're not on your knees, to make sure you're not in prayer, to make sure that you think in some way you can carry the burden that only, that only Christ can carry. And the only way to keep him out of the conversation is to pray without ceasing. Beg Jesus for rest and don't give up on it. Keep coming after Jesus. I I am your pastor, as I promise you. I'm not going to stop praying this prayer. Give me rest, Jesus. I'm going to bang on this door till you give it to me. It's like the the persistent widow in the Gospels, right? Eventually, Jesus is going to say, all right, sounds good. Here's the yoke. Step step inside my office. Let's do this together. So let me make this tangible in the last two seconds here. I think we need to embrace our human limitations. You cannot do everything you think you can do. And people cannot meet your expectation as much as you think that they can. I see something that paralyzes churches, okay? And I don't want this to happen to Cedar Street. I see visitors come in and you start analyzing the church and you start setting preferences. I want to go to a church where the pastor wears a tie, where the choir doesn't dance, where the times meet my requirements and this meets my requirements and this meets my requirements. And you put a burden on the church they can't carry and you get frustrated because no one will ever meet your expectation level. We are humans. We have limits. What I want to say to you is we're not called to live to your standard. We're called to live to the standard of Jesus. So move on from it. And if you have those, those burdens that you've put on yourself, and I speak to someone who's wrestled with this, if you think you can do more than you actually can, embrace that God has put limits on your life. My wife will tell you, I've tried very hard to get to bed earlier and up earlier because I realize there's a time in the night, for me it's about 7 o'clock, where other than sweeping the kitchen floor, I'm not going to do anything useful in the house. I am exhausted and I'm ready to wind it down. So what do I do? I sweep the kitchen floor, I pick up the baby's toys, I get my stuff set out for tomorrow, I get ready for bed because I need strength to get through tomorrow because I've pretty much spent the strength I have for today. Bo, three years ago, would have tried to stay up till 2 in the morning, but I would have been surfing the web on ESPN.com till 12.45 because I, I thought I could do it, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I have to embrace my limits, and so do you. We need to celebrate that God is sovereignly in control of our lives. It does not mean He will protect all pain. 
but it means all things work together for good. So even in tragedy, God knew it and allowed it to happen because in some way it will bring together bring together a greater good than had it not happened. I believe Romans 8.28 fits into every area of a Christian's life. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That means God knows it, he allowed it to happen, and as painful as it can be, it's going to birth a greater good. We need to repent of sin and seek to trust and obey him. Simple as that. When we know we're not living for God, we need, to, we need to say, all right, I'm carrying my own yoke of sin. I need to take this off and put on the yoke of Christ. Forgive me and help me. And then, again, pray without ceasing. Learn breath prayers. This has saved my soul. All right, I mentioned that one sentence uh, from Matthew 11 that I'd recite over. There's one sentence. Sometimes some of them call it the Jesus prayer. Many denominations practice this. In, in uh, Luke chapter 18, the, the tax collector recites these words, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me and help me. Well, recite that over and over all day. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me and help me. There are some days in my office that I have repeated that phrase 30 straight times. That, to me, is praying without ceasing. It doesn't mean we stop our work, but it means that we press into Jesus. We press his word into our hearts. We, we need to be people who are so close to Jesus, there's no room for anything else. And as we close and enter into a time of invitation, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you've never had that closeness with him. Let's get past the thought of praying the prayer. You know your heart's not changed. You know that you may have been moved emotionally in a moment, but you do not have Jesus in your life. I would invite you to come during this time of invitation and give your life to Christ. And then I would invite you to go back to Jesus tonight and go back to Jesus tomorrow and go back to Jesus at lunch. And don't stop going back. When he says, come to me, he's saying, keep coming. I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. I lead, you follow. Will you follow me? And if we do, we will find true rest for our souls. Let us pray. Father, it was told to me once that pastors preach best what they struggle with most, and that is certainly the case in this passage. Father, I need your rest. We need your rest rest. Father, here's my prayer. I pray that when people walk into the sanctuary of Cedar Street Baptist Church, they find a rest for their souls that they've never experienced anywhere before because the presence of God is in this place and the people of God are in the yoke of Christ. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my marriage. I pray that for my family. I pray that for my church and every family represented in this room right now. I want the rest of the world to look at this community and this church and say there's something different about these people. They have a peace and a rest deep in the pit of their soul that can only come for Christ. So Father, in the name of Christ, I pray that your rest would fall upon us, that we would hear the voice of the shepherd and that we respond in repentance and faith. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.